Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper Podcast, where somebody's got to say it. My name is Patrick Hayes, your regular host, and with me today is attorney Stephanie Taub, senior counsel at the First Liberty Institute. Attorney Taub, welcome to the Bible Thumper Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. Now, uh, tell me if I have this correct. You are a graduate of the University of Southern California? That's right. And you graduated with highest honors. And for those of us that like to speak Latin, that's summa cum laude? (laughs) That's right. Okay. And then after that, you uh, went on and graduated from Harvard Law School in 2014. That's correct. Okay, first question. Was that the best you could do, Harvard Law? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, it's certainly an experience. There aren't a lot of people that go on to join Religious Liberty for uh, that attend Harvard Law School, but there are a few of us. Now, you know what? Um, that reminds me of something, and I did not write this down, but I do know that the founding documents of Harvard, they said something about uh, how uh, their mission was to teach everybody uh, about Jesus Christ, which is the foundation of all information or something along those lines, back when it was quite founded? A, yeah, quite a few of the Ivy Leagues or the oldest institutions in the United States did have that sort of a mission and started out as seminaries um, or, or something very much that. And uh, things have changed. Things have certainly changed over the years. So that's not still the founding mission statement of Harvard that everyone shall consider as the main end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. They, they, that's not what you experienced? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, that's okay. Maybe we'll get back there. We'll see. All right. So you are a senior counsel for the First Liberty Institute. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. And just to get this out of the way, uh, anyone that's watching our video, uh, you you see the website up there, uh, firstliberty.org. Uh, also, there's a QR code. You can just scan that with your phone. It'll bring you right to firstliberty.org. And uh, can you tell our listeners what you folks do over there? Yeah. So we are First Liberty Institute. We're a nationwide nonprofit law firm dedicated to defending religious liberty for all Americans. So we defend people of all faiths and we never charge our clients and we're focused exclusively on religious liberty. Okay. Uh, When did you guys first start up uh, First Liberty Institute? So we've been around for decades and we exclusively started focusing on religious liberty in the late 90s. Uh, So our leader is Kelly Shackford and we're based in Texas. Um, And now we have two major religious liberty cases before the United States Supreme Court. You might have heard of Coach Joe Kennedy, which is a case involving a high school coach who was fired after taking a knee in prayer at the 50-yard line after football games. And then we also have a school choice case out of Maine. Uh, What? Tell me what that school choice case is about. The the Joe Kennedy one has received national attention. I heard about it on the Glenn Beck program, and that's what got me uh, contacting your law firm and, and subsequently in touch with you. Tell me about what's going on in Maine. Yeah, that's right. So um, this case was argued in December, and we're still waiting on the opinion. And so the state of Maine, uh, the, the state of Maine is trying to argue that excluding religious schools from their school choice program 
So where families could get funding to be able to go to um, any school of their choice, except if the school of your choice is religious. Um, and so they're arguing that that's somehow not religious discrimination. And so I think we've got a pretty good shot of winning that argument. Maine is trying to argue that, um, Maine is trying to argue that, oh no, we don't discriminate based on religious affiliation. We just discriminate against your school because it does religious things. Mm. And so, yes, so uh, we're arguing that that's a distinction without a difference. And therefore, this, the court should clearly say that this is also religious discrimination that is forbidden by the First Amendment. Okay, so tell us about Coach Joe Kennedy. What is going on there? So, so Coach Kennedy, he is a Marine veteran turned high school football coach who lost his job after taking a knee for a brief 15 to 30 second prayer after football games. So he made a commitment to God um, way back uh, right when he started co coaching football, right when he got the job at Bremerton High School in Washington State, that he would give a prayer. He would kneel on right after games and say a prayer of thanksgiving to God for his students for what just happened for the game that was played. And he did that um, faithfully every single time. Over the years, some of the players wanted to wanted to join him. They saw what he was doing, and they voluntarily asked to join him. And he said, this is a free country. You can do what you want. And um, so then the school got wind of this by, uh, by way of a comment to one of the school administrators. And in response to that compliment, they told Coach Kennedy, all right, you need to, you need to stop your prayer practice. And so he stopped praying with the students. And at that time, he just wanted to continue um, to pray on um, by himself, just for a brief 15 to 30 seconds on the 50-yard the line right after games. And the school, so he waited until the students were off doing other sorts of post-game activities, off singing the fight song after games. He took a knee in prayer for uh, the final three games, and then they fired him. Now, how long was he a coach there for? He was a coach there for about seven years, seven or eight years. And he was doing this the whole time? Yep, that's right. And no one had a problem with it up until... So how long between the complaint and when they finally let him go? Uh, so that was only a matter... It was a very, very short amount of time. Um, so they told him... Yeah, they told him just, it was only a matter of, of months. Okay. Did they offer him any way to satisfy his desire to pray and make everything, yeah. you know, work out together? Any accommodation? Yeah. Uh, they basically, they basically said if you're in view of, um, if you're in view of the students, it's not okay. So the, the accommodation that they offered was for him to go um make the journey off into a press box or somewhere like that which would take him away from his players for a lot longer than 15 seconds that he would take to to kneel in prayer um and so that was the only accommodation that was offered and so when he continued to take a knee the school district took the very extreme position that because we can see you doing something religious then that in and of itself could be perceived as endorsement and therefore we're going to fire you because we think that that's a violation of the constitution. And so this really goes back to a very, um, a very mistaken 
second interpret understanding of the First Amendment, where school districts often think that they have to scrub their their campus of anything that even remotely seems religious, and this can le lead quite a few quite a few schools to go too far and infringe on student speech to infringe on the personal speech of coaches. So if Coach Kennedy can take 15 to 30 seconds to make a private call or talk to someone in the stands, then he can take 15 to 30 seconds to say a prayer. Now, tell me if this phrase means anything to you. Tolerating public speech is not enforcement. The idea yeah, is that the schools were thinking <clears throat> that by just allowing him to do this, that meant that they were endorsing prayer. Am, am I correct in that assumption? That's right. And that's what it really comes down to is the fact that um, school districts sometimes have this mistaken, um, this mistaken view that they need to censor, um, that not everything that they to happen on their campus that allowing free speech doesn't necessarily you you endorse every single view allowing a democrat student club and a republican student club doesn't mean that you're endorsing one side or the other in that in that debate just as allowing for a brief private personal expression for teachers doesn't mean that you are endorsing that particular expression now was the problem that the coach could be seen or heard while praying? Was that their issue? Yes, yes, that was their issue. If you look at the, what they say contemporaneously, um, we have emails from school administrators saying that the issue has shifted to a coach's personal right to pray, and that's what it's about. And school lawyers are so concerned about even allowing uh, teachers to have any sort of private religious um, activity for private religious exercise at school in view of students that they go so far as to censor anything that even remotely um, partakes of the religious. And so that's why this case is important. So in, um, in back in way back in 1969, the Supreme Court said that students and teachers have constitutional rights and they don't shed those rights just by walking through the schoolhouse gates. But we haven't had very many Supreme Court opinions clarifying what are the rights of teachers. Um, I think everyone would agree that you can bow your head in prayer over the cafeteria if you are a if you are a teacher if you're a cafeteria worker you should be able to do that. But um, but under this this reasoning, so many schools are hesitant to even allow like minor uh, minor brief religious exercise like that. Okay, so <clears throat> would there be a problem with, because I'm just thinking this through as, as we're talking about this. Uh, there's lots of times when someone is going to pray at a sporting event. I, I grew up, I played sports all my life. I was a collegiate athlete, played sports through college. And uh, for instance, um, anytime a soccer player would score a goal, anytime a football player would score a touchdown, lots of times these guys will take a knee and pray and point up to, to heaven or, you know, um, some that might be Catholic, they might make the sign of the cross. You know, these things happen. Are, are these going to be an issue all of a sudden for students in the same game? Yeah, Justice Kavanaugh asked that very same, asked that question. Can a school fire, he asked, can a school fire a coach for making the sign of the cross right before the game and the school district's lawyers well the school district's are um lawyers said maybe which is pretty 
pretty extreme. They're represented by an activist um, organization that takes a very uh, anti-religious view of the Establishment Clause that allows for virtually no play in the joints and very little religious expression. And so this is, um, that would be a, a pretty extreme position if even by, you can't even make the sign of the cross and that somehow violates um, the Establishment Clause. At the same time, in one of these events, if a if a if a kid gets injured, it's pretty standard that while we're waiting to see how they're doing, everyone has a moment of silence. They all take a knee. Coaches do that. I've seen referees do that. And I'm talking about high school, college, and professional sports. You know, this is this is all what has been accepted and acceptable in sporting events for you know as long as I've been playing sports. Um, and now all of these, including a coach, and, and just to be clear, this coach was not doing this from a microphone before the game. Right, that would be very different. That would be a very different fact scenario. He was doing a silent prayer at the end of the game by himself for 15 seconds. And then the school district fired him. So this is, we've seen, We've seen these sorts of extreme interpretations of the establishment club across the country. Sometimes some schools don't even want to allow teachers to have Bibles on their desks. Um, it's it's very, um, if you can have um, a different kind, if you have some sort of novel on your desk, you should be able to read your Bible during your free book. time. Sure. Yes, that's right. Um, but sometimes schools just don't treat religion equally. And we're arguing that that's religious discrimination. It's kind of the same thing as um, as the main school choice case that we were talking about earlier. You can't just kind of try to reframe it to say that to call, pretend like it's not religious discrimination when you're not treating religion equally. Hmm. Okay. So, could, is there is there a side where we could say this is good? that this is happening because now it's being brought before the Supreme Court and a decision has to be made, whereas before the ideas were maybe ambiguous because a ruling had never been passed down? Well, it's certainly an opportunity for the Supreme Court to clarify um, to clarify what the rights of teachers are. So you really don't lose your rights when you become a teacher, that you still have a right to personal expression and they, you still are a person. People of faith should not be excluded excluded from, um, from participation as teachers in the public school. And so, of course, um, the school has the right to set um, parameters what happens in instructional time, for example. But if you've, got, if you've got free time, if you can engage in any sort of other personal activity, you should be able to engage in, in religious activity on your own um, in the same way. Now, uh, your law firm was arguing in front of the Supreme Court just a month ago. Is that correct? That's right. And we had Paul Clement, who is the former Solicitor General of the United States, argue on behalf of Coach Kennedy. And he is one of, I think, three other attorneys to argue um, over 100 cases before the United States Supreme Court. So he's one of the most capable attorneys um, uh, uh, in the country. And I would highly recommend to any of your listeners who are interested in hearing the arguments, then go look them up. They're available for everyone to hear. Now, now I listened to the oral arguments in preparation for this. I got I, I got all the questions for you, but you didn't get to present any of the arguments. Do you guys draw straws? Is that how? Was it just <laughs> well, not I your think, turn? 
I think Paul Clement outranks me by quite a little, quite a lot. So your day's coming. You're just <laughs> not there yet. Maybe someday. Okay. We have, before we move on, we have a question because we're live and people are able to comment. So I got a question from the public that I wanted to bring up. And that is, do you personally like the television show Better Call Saul? You know, I haven't seen that one. Oh, my um, soul. I know, I know it's shocking. We were so busy these days um, <laughs> with requests for legal help from across the country. Um, and then I've also got three little ones at home. So between those two, it's, oh, um, okay. don't have a lot of time. <laughs> now I get that. I totally get <laughs> Maybe that. someday. Okay, so um, how did it go with the arguments in front of the Supreme Court? How did your firm feel that it went at the end? Uh, we felt it went very well. The Supreme Court had some really big picture questions about establishment case, establishment law um, overall. So particularly about um, some doctrines that have been um, lingering in the case law for a while that have really caused a lot of confusion and encouraged school districts, even well-meaning well school districts and school district attorneys to um, to just treat religion with hostility because of the, these um, bad cases from decades ago that really need to be overturned. So we're hoping or it, it would be wonderful if the Supreme Court could uh, get rid of some of get rid of some of the old case law that's been um, lingering around and causing uh, the root of a lot of these problems. And so the justices, some of the justices asked about um, about Levin that that case. And we're hoping that they could they could go that far, but they could issue a more ruling just to clarify that you do have um, you do really have constitutional rights. You don't shed your rights when you become a teacher um, in these public schools. Now, you mentioned uh, the case Lemon. Could you tell the folks here that are listening what is the Lemon test and, and how that's applicable? Yeah, so the Lemon test takes a look at a couple of um a, a few factors. So it looks at the purpose of whatever uh, activity is at issue, um, whether its purpose was to advance religion or inhibit religion, whether people will view it, a reasonable viewer would view it as endorsing of religion and whether it has the effect of advancing religion. And it's, it's a very squishy, amorphous test that judges can, can turn to say whatever they want. It's also skewed against um, allowing a diversity of views. So it's, it's not neutral in the way maybe it was originally intended. And so we're, we're really pushing for the courts to take a, a, a look a, a look at of the Establishment Clause that looks at the history and tradition of any particular pra uh, practice. So Lemon hasn't been used for decades. <laughs> it hasn't been used for 20 years, but lower courts and um, School district attorneys continue to rely on it, um, but instead they really should look at the cases that have been, that have replaced it. So we look at Town of Greece, we look at American Legion. Those cases have shown that you have to you have to take into account the history of the practice. You have to take into account um, these circumstances to see whether it actually violates the establishment clause, not just whether a judge likes the practice or not. Now, just based on some of the questions that I heard the justices asking, I felt like I could tell which way they were leaning based on their questions. Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> you know, some <laughs> of them were very much against it, but their 
their questions didn't seem to make sense to me. They didn't seem to be applicable to this case. So one of my one of the things that I heard several times was the concern over coercion and the idea of where do we draw the line? Because if this coach was inviting all the students um, to uh, come out uh, and he was given a microphone by the school and we're all going to pray together, then obviously it's looked at that this is supported by the school and we are supporting this one religion and that would be a problem. But the way that it was happening was that It seemed that he was going out of his way to do it by himself and quietly. And the only time people joined was when they asked, can I come and do this with you? And he said, you can do whatever you want. You know, it's a free country. You can do whatever you want. So trying to tie his actions to the school and the school district or the school board and what they believe, I didn't see how you could do that, I I really didn't see they had a leg to stand on because of when he did the prayer, how he did the prayer. And I guess my question would be, other than doing it alone at his own home, how could you separate it anymore? The only way we could separate it more is by saying that teachers don't have a right to pray if any child can see them which I think is obviously a bridge too far. Yeah, and that's what the school district, it seems like that's what the school district is arguing for some sort of a very, very broad rule like that. Um, and so, so that's, that's not this case. It is the job of the Supreme Court to take a look at various hypotheticals and to ask a lot of different questions about what if the facts were changed such that it was a different case. Um, but you're very right here. If you look at the the ex- the school gave at the time, if you looked at what actually happened during the final few games over which he was fired, um, it's clear that he took efforts to make sure the students were engaged in other activities and that the school's reason for firing him is not because of any any sort of activity with the students, it's because of um, their fear that somehow people would assume that they are endorsing religion or specifically Christianity because someone could tell that he was praying when he knelt in prayer. Now, the other thing that came to me was that there were hypotheticals given and assumptions that someone watching what the coach was doing was going to cause them to think that they needed to get on board with this. The The, the concern was such that the coach praying, some kid that wanted to do it could be trying to get favor with the coach to get playing time or to get a better, you know, starting position. And the concern was that the kids that uh, didn't feel comfortable praying uh, would maybe not be in a favorable favorable position with the coaches. And therefore, there was unspoken pressure upon the kids. What's so, the argument to that? Right. So if you look at what um, Paul Clement said to, to those sorts of questions is it's very important to make sure you're, you're treating religious speech equally because this could you could have some sort of um, uh, concerns like that about anything so if you have a favorite football team for example a favorite sports team and if you're always wearing um, 
USC Trojan paraphernalia. Maybe some of your students might want to wear USC Trojan paraphernalia. Are you going to ban um, all USC apparel just because of that hypothetical possible risk? And so sometimes there, these are sometimes fact, fact specific questions, and we don't have that's a very different record than what we have here. Um, but the really important part is that you're not singling out religious speech for this, um, for some sort of discriminatory treatment. And we've had such a scrutiny on religious speech over the past few decades that religion is almost something we can't even talk about in public school. It's something that is almost it's almost treated akin to um, like asbestos or <laughs> or um, other kinds of um, just it's just it's treated as akin to violence almost um and it's a really inappropriate um level of disdain and hostility that we feel in in public schools partially contributed by um by these poorly reasoned supreme court cases from decades ago yeah the the idea that a kid could could misunderstand someone wearing a Dallas Cowboys t-shirt and therefore, you know, feel pressured to do it. And the fact that there was purposeful, overt pressure to get a kid to do something are completely different. And right. it seems right. like we're just saying we're, it's one of the, I don't know if this is the right saying, but we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> you know, the idea that, well, there's a chance someone could misunderstand it. So therefore, you know, um, you know, teachers can only, they have to have a uniform that they wear. They can't have, you know, there's only certain things that they can say because, because any chance that someone could misunderstand wouldn't be fair to the students. Now, right. And if you, if you look at the, if you look at some of the briefing in, in this case, um, some of the school districts brief as we've been, as we've been litigating this, they, they argue sometimes that the fact that you're a mentor they say, uh, they, they try to use that against you. Like you're a mentor, students are looking up to you. Um, like heaven forbid, um, they, they, they know, they see that your mentor might be a person of faith. And, mm -hmm. and it's pretty shocking to, to try, it, it's basically arguing that people of faith should be disqualified from, um, from coaching because people might look up to them. And that is, is so far from a, really neutral rule. It's this this rule that really is hostility and doesn't allow any sort of um, just understanding that your teacher is religious um, is is a bridge too far because they have a mentorship role. It, it's pretty shocking. You know, the if they're saying that no prayer is allowed at the end of the game by anyone that's associated with the school, really the exact opposite side of that spectrum is forcing everyone to pray and no one is trying. I think both sides are absolutely absurd. You know, there has to be a place in the middle where everyone can freely express their religious opinions and views without forcing anything on the students. Um, but it seems like we're only willing to argue one way now, and that is uh, always against God. And and it seems like everyone is so scared to get into a mess that they say, you know what, better safe than sorry, just, you know, nothing to do with God. We're just going to say across the board, that's the only, uh, that's the only safe place. Our, our yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. And the problem with that is that's not neutral. 
that's, that's not neutral for people of faith. That is hostility. And that and there's plenty of case law that says that being hostile toward religion itself violates the Establishment Clause. Absolutely. And so you, can't, you can't get away with it by having this sort of um, scrutiny on every single thing to not let any room in the joints for some private religious expression. And that's why you see sometimes kindergartners not being allowed to share their favorite book if they say it's the Bible. Um, it's really <laughs> absurd situations like that because people treat religion like something that you can't ever talk about. And this it just really should be a more of a neutral, welcoming, diverse um, atmosphere that we should be creating and not, not an atmosphere of hostility toward religion. So I'm gonna, give me a little latitude here. Um, I want to bring up another case that uh, you folks are involved with and just make my point. And, and, and I'm going to start by doing this. Do you want to know how you can tell if a statement is racist? Do you know the test for this? It's so simple. Well, what's the test? You flip it around. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah. so, so that's all you do. If the statement says, you know, uh, I am only going to hire a guy of this ethnicity, and everyone's for it. You say, okay, well, can we say the same statement for this ethnicity? And say, oh, no, 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 that's not okay. That's racist. It's like, well, then they both are. You know, all you got to do is flip it around. So mm -hmm. think with think with me here. You folks are also, um, you've taken on the case, uh, Sweet Cakes by Melissa case. In Oregon. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this is another one that I don't know why, maybe because we all like cake, you know, but this is one that's <laughs> again, received national attention. And it's the, it's the case where, um, they had a fine imposed upon them by the state of Oregon because they refused to make a wedding cake for a same sex wedding. Do I have that correct? That's right. And that case has been going on for almost 10 years now oh, and it's soul. still not over. Okay. So now let me ask you this. Is this okay? Let me lay out the following scenario. You have um, a homosexual woman who owns a store that does screen printing, and she makes t-shirts and sweatshirts and all types of paraphernalia like that for, you know, whoever wants to buy it. And someone comes in and they say, well, uh, we are marching on a rally, uh, you know, on the other side of town, and the rally is anti-homosexual. So we're going to need you to make up 50 t-shirts that have an anti-homosexual slogan of some kind. Here's my credit card. Please have them ready by Thursday. Can we force that lady to make those shirts? Absolutely not. No one should be forced to send by the government to send a message that goes against their, their beliefs, uh, whether religious or not. And so the Supreme Court is taking up a case that's that's very similar to this right now. And we're hoping that, I'm very optimistic, that the Supreme Court will find this principle as applied to everyone. Your point, your point is perfectly valid, that no matter um, that when you flip it around, either way, whatever your views on these issues, you should be compelled to send a message that goes against those views. I agree. I think it's obvious. But for, again, for some reason, it's different when it has to do with God. That's just what society seems to have deemed. And that's what we're fighting against right now. Yeah, in the Masterpiece Cake Shop, for example, this actually happened, your hypothetical. The Colorado agency that goes after these sorts of cases had um, had these co had complaints 
coming in from both sides, but only decided to go against the Christian maker. <laughs> so that's really the problem that we're facing is all we're looking for is the same freedoms and the same rights as everybody else. And I hate to tell you, there there are a lot of Christians that feel uncomfortable with uh, the LBGT community, but that doesn't mean that they don't have rights. They're still human beings and they have rights and, and, and we're okay with that. And we're just asking that because I believe in the Bible and the Lord Jesus as my Savior, that doesn't mean that I don't have rights. I'm just looking for the, to be able to exercise the same rights that everybody else has. We're, I mean, that's, that's well put. I mean, we're really looking for not the right not to be discriminated against, right to be treated equally. And these cases where we're talking about what is religious discrimination that are before the Supreme Court, we are really hopeful that they will, that the Supreme Court will provide guidance um, that will protect people of faith from being able to to express their sincerely held religious beliefs, for not being able, not being forced by the government to violate those beliefs, and just to create a more a society that allows for this sort of diversity. So let me ask you this, because. I think a lot of Christian parents and children, we might be ignorant as far as what our freedoms are and what rights we have. Uh, can you give us some examples of things that maybe we don't know about that we have the right to do in, I'm going to say, usually in the public schools? Because I know a lot of people, I think, are just we've been told we have no rights whatsoever for so long that I think we just all start to believe it. Yeah, that there is a lot of misunderstanding. So in the schools, the Department of Education actually a few years ago put out some very good guidance that basically clarifies when you have the student projects, for example, if you have it, if you're answer as long as you're answering the prompt, students can talk about their religious beliefs. So if you have what's your favorite Bible verse or or what do you think about this or what did you do over the weekend, you can talk. The students are totally free to um, to answer the questions from their religious perspective. They're not allowed to go off and not answer the questions of their not, not answer the prompt, but, um, but they can't be discriminated against because of their religious worldview. And similarly with, with Christian clubs or clubs of any religion, um, if, if, if a school allows other extracurricular clubs, it has to allow uh, religious clubs on the same terms. So the only solution for the school would be to say no clubs whatsoever. Uh, that's right. They could they could have the, they could close the forum um, and and not allow any clubs whatsoever. But that's uh, hopefully schools won't do that because uh, just because of the detriment to the students from closing all of these extracurricular clubs. Can you tell us what battles we're up against right now? What are your most pressing concerns for religious liberty in America today? So we focus on uh, five, five main areas for religious liberty. We focus on schools, uh, religious institutions like churches, synagogues, mosques. Um, the military is, is a major one. Public arena, such as war memorials, like that. Um, and a new one that I'm really most concerned about that we are um, especially focused on these days is religious liberty in the marketplace. So every, almost every day we are receiving requests for legal help people who are danger of losing their jobs because of their religious beliefs, making the decision between whether they uh, will violate 
their religious beliefs in one way or the other, um, or what, or uh, risking their job. So whether it's for post office workers wanting to observe the Sabbath, or nurse practitioners not wanting to prescribe contraceptives or patients, or um, just in the way that people want to use language consistent with their religious beliefs. Um, these are all real cases that we're working on. Yeah, and we're know, receiving every day. I know two of the cases that I saw you folks are dealing with. One is with, oh, I forget which airline it is, but there are a couple ladies that work there that were fired because of their questions having to do with the Equality Act that the airline came out in support of. That's right. Just last week, we filed our complaint against Alaska Airlines for religious discrimination. Alaska Airlines fired two outstanding flight attendants because Alaska opened its um, company internal messaging board and welcomed, it said it welcomed a diversity of views and posted about the Equality Act and invited comments. And then when two flight attendants posted, um, posted their questions raising concerns about the Equality Act's impact on women or on people of faith, then it, Alaska Airlines fired them. And in the notice of discharge, it said even considering sexual orientation or gender identity to be moral issues is itself a discriminatory statement. And that's the reason why they got fired. So that clearly violates federal civil rights law to fire someone just because you don't like a religious belief. I'll tell you what, you guys have your hands full. We certainly do. It's it's very busy around here, um, but it's very important cases. And we really, I mean, it's really our clients who are the real, um, really deserve all of the credit. They are so brave in taking a stand. So many people um, are are just quiet because because there is a real cost here. People are losing their jobs like almost every day because of um, because of these pressures. And people are silent. If if so, if more people stood up, then we would not be not be in this situation. So I really encourage everyone um, to be informed about what your rights are and to uh, to reach out to us. We're at FirstLiberty.org. Reach out to some of our other friendly um, uh, other organizations that are doing really great work in this space. Know your rights. Stand up. Don't don't violate your sincerely held religious beliefs. There may be a risk but learn, just learn what's going on and, and stand up. Now, how do you fund such undertaking? So we never charge our clients. We are mostly donation-based. We are a nonprofit 501c3 organization, um, and we're at firstliberty.org. You can read more about us and follow our cases. So that is something we'd certainly like to encourage all of our listeners to do. Please go to that website. Um, you can donate. Uh, you can certainly share that website around, get it up on social media so folks know about it. If you are the uh, pastor of a church, uh, if you're part of any religious club, uh, this would be a good thing to maybe um, get a little presentation together uh, and get information in front of folks because you got to remember even though folks aren't coming after you and your job today, that doesn't mean they're not going to tomorrow. So it's very important for all of us who, you know, get on board with groups like this and, and support them and, and try to get behind. Well, thank you so much for the kind words. We do have protection kits available that have some guidance about some areas of the law and some frequently asked questions about various areas of the law that you can find on our website. Um, please reach out to us if, um, if you do 
you have um, questions or concerns about an issue that you're currently facing. Um, and we'd always appreciate prayers for the work that we're doing. Well, um, Attorney Taub, we appreciate having you. Um, just wanted to let everyone know uh, that uh, Stephanie Taub has been published in the Texas Review of Law and Politics. She has written for the National Review, the Washington Times, and has appeared on Fox News. And finally, she gets a feather in her cap. She can say not only as she argued in front of the Supreme Court, but she has been on the Bible Thumper podcast. So <laughs> we expect that to be added to your bio if you ever write a book. <laughs> and um, any last message you'd like to uh, give to the listeners before we uh, thank you and sign off? All right, I'll add that to my bio. And thank you so much for having me on and for, uh, for covering these really important cases with your listeners. Uh, love to be on again. Okay, we'll do it sometime. You have a great day. Thank you so much. All right, you too. Bye-bye.